Hi, and welcome, my fellow dishheads, to a special edition of the Dishcast. It's going to be pretty chill. You're all kind of decompressing after Thanksgiving. I have with me uh, Christina Summers and Danielle Crittenden, two of my favorite writers, bloggers, pundits forever. And they are, and were, of course, there are, Host of the podcast Femsplainers, which now Danielle does alone because Christina has disengaged. Disengaged. She's retired. En- reti- retired. <laughs> I don't she, like the word. She's embraced. Retirement. Embraced, uh, yes, whatever she's done. And later, we are going to have David from Danielle's husband, if you didn't know, who's going to be crashing the pod as so he we does. can as he <laughs> so we can thrash out some stuff about Russia. <laughs> As far as anybody wants to talk about it anymore. So tell me, Christina, um, you've decided to kind of let this entire crazy circus go and go and be a gardener. A gardener and a dilettante and reading voraciously and just being my own boss, being extremely lenient. And I can stay up till three and sleep till 11, do whatever I want. And it doesn't feel like... I've given up. It feels like I'm re-engaging with things that I lost track of. So now I've just done a week of immersion in, in Gustav Mahler and the symphonies. And, and you can now with the social media and the internet, you can find so many wonderful lectures. And there's a whole podcast on Mahler. Anyway, I'm being a, a dilettante and having a good time. You but haven't... Di- Started taking Viking cruises yet? <laughs> no, no, and but or wearing I am, baggy clothes. I'm gardening, and maybe I'm going to microdose. On what? A little, uh, a little, a little. Uh, I'll try anything. Little LSD every day. A little, just a tiny bit. I heard that touch. it's just sort of a great way to listen to symphony. Speaking of which, this is going to be a slightly enhanced podcast because we have some rosé for my guests and I am going to smoke a little teeny little joint at some point because we're in the mood and I am just got back from England where I went for Thanksgiving which is a little bizarre thing to do but I it's a great chance to see my folks I haven't seen them in forever and since COVID um, and I spent my entire time in a in my hometown little hometown of East Grinstead staying with my brother and my sister went to see my father's grave which I haven't been able to see since he died um and just hung out with some old school friends, high school friends, had an absolutely lovely time and didn't look at Twitter, really, and kind of chilled out. Um, and it was nice to just get out of the noise for a little bit. I, I, I feel like you a little bit at that time of life where I really do need some calm. I had a whole, whole year sabbatical a few years ago, if you recall, but, uh, and I really enjoyed it too. It's amazing. I like doing nothing. My brother is basically retired. He's four years younger than me. He made enough money and now he's living in this lovely Elizabethan cottage in the middle of my old, right on the high street in my hometown and spends the days with his dog playing golf and listening to all sorts of increasingly uh, deranged podcasts, which, which, which is kind of a nice way to live really if you can manage it. He's not living luxuriously, but he's got enough money to keep him going. Danielle, you are, however, still Potting up a storm, right? Where were you and in your life? You guys are making you're just making me. She's sad. close, and I keep tr- no. <laughs> she, I, you keep trying to make me stop, and I'm I'm I am 58. I will be 59 next year, and I'm I'm still at that stage where if I w- were to stop, which w- I would more than love to do, 
I would have this. I mean, my spirit animal is a terrier. And if I don't wake up and start doing something, I will just yap and rip the cushions. So until I can stop feeling the necessity to do that, I think I will keep working. Yeah. Everyone says to me, you know, you'll never retire because you're always kind of engaged. And that's true to some extent. But I don't know about that. I think there's part of me that loves just being in quiet, being in nature. But um, you still have a mission, Andrew. Yeah, You I have do. a mission more than ever. We feel we still have a mission, and I'll, I'll try to drag Christina back when I can. But, but you know, it's the conversation is important now, and our perspective, we're not so old that we are easily dismissed, although that's coming soon, I guess. Yeah. I'm your age, too, 58. It's kind of terrifying, isn't it, really? It's a strange age. Well, it's as they say, it's better than the alternative. It is. Well, how, forgive me. It's young old. I think somebody I'm said. I'm seventy one. No, you're not. I am. I know. You are I know. absolutely oh, not. No, Christina is. That's insane. And I went, I went with my granddaughter Eliza my, to a shop, and um, she's seventeen. And they said, "Oh, your daughter might want this." You know, my daughter. I was so happy. Men still hit on Christina when we're out together. They don't hit on me, but they hit on Christina. <laughs> well, she's very foxy. Um, and no one on earth would ever believe she was anything close to 71. Now I'm just buttering you up. Uh, yeah, because here come the tough questions. Oh, no. <laughs> well, I was going to ask you, actually, the epidemic, pandemic, we've just had this horrible sense that we might be lurching towards another phase of it with this new variant, which, of course, we don't know about yet, really. Maybe it's going to be another bout of ugliness. What do you think has has been the worst impact of this pandemic, Christina? I think the worst is that we have we have so many authorities telling, I mean, even trying to figure out the latest variant. I have seen several people confidently assert that, oh, well, not to worry about. It. And then I heard the president of Moderna say, this is not good news. It was very ominous the way he put it and the way he said it. And I think the, the probably the public health uh, the authorities had a certain credibility, and now it's in question, along with other authorities, and that's worrisome. Why am I, and this is, I really don't want to be, but I find myself increasingly annoyed by Tony Fauci. Now, I, I've i always oh, no, liked... Oh, no, please, please don't do this, Andrew. Well, I don't want to. I really don't want to, because I, I like the guy, and I think he's generally a good person. I know that. I mean, I mean it took a while for him to get on the right track with AIDS. He was a little resistant to that at the start. Um, I just, when he says, you know, if you're if you're fighting with me, you're fighting with science, which is sort of his current line. Uh, I just get, I just get ticked off. There's something well, about well, him that's ticking me off. I want not, I want it not to happen. Talk me out of it, Daniel. Okay, I have a relative who has moved to Mexico and become a full-on anti-vaxer, and he believes that fascism is falling across North America globalists are behind this. He has been, if you want to talk about the negatives, one of the negatives of the pandemic is I think my story is not unusual. It's happened to so many families. Talk to anyone and someone will have a family or a friend who has gone permanently down a rabbit hole of conspiracies that are generated by this anti-vax view. So when you, you know, one can quibble with Fauci. One can say, yeah, well, maybe he shouldn't say something like that. But the politicization and the winds that are fanning the anti-Fauci, I think, is very dangerous to give further light to them. Yeah. You know, that's the problem. We're not just dealing with a conversation about science and pandemics. 
as you remember from AIDS, that that there's a lot of dark undercurrents to being against Fauci, being against the vaccine. And it, it just horrifies me how we have politicized this and, and how we have this need to demonize. Politicized people everything. Are now to people get us, are saying they're not going to get, you know, measles vaccines and it's hoop, insane. whooping cough and things. So that could be. I know. I Look, I'm a big believer in vaccines, always have done. I'm big, I mean, I say this. I've always been a big believer in science. I, I tried to rebut back in the day all those crazy HIV stories. I mean, you may recall as mm-hmm. with this one, plenty of conspiracy theories about HIV doesn't really cause AIDS, plenty of like new kind of drugs people were tra- taking without any real scientific standing, um, huge amounts of paranoia and denial. This is not unusual for epidemics. People get paranoid. Mm-hmm. And this one, I think there was I think there was a point at which, for me anyway, there were two things that really kind of screwed me. One was you don't have to wear a mask to begin with. And then that just seemed to be so counterintuitive to my sense of just better safe than sorry. Why not wear a mask? Mm-hmm. So Fauci kind of lost me then. He changed his mind. That was um, very early on. Though, it we was didn't very really early on. know what was what. Yeah. But if you don't know what's what, better safe than sorry, it seems to be. You should right. wear a mask if you can. But, but you had an administration fighting. Right. Can to, we say what, one thing that. that was good about the pandemic? Yeah, I, yeah, I was going to talk about but there were some gifts, it, too, gift if you came through for uh, I mean, stipulate the tragedy of people who were stricken and sick and died and all that. But for introverts, I'm not sure I'm an introvert, but I yes, you am an introvert. And suddenly it was it was OK. You could stay home. You didn't feel guilty. You didn't feel you were letting people down. You didn't feel you were missing things. You were fine. And I think there are a lot of us out there that and this is connected to my retiring. I don't have to. I sort of stayed in my house and my garden for a year. And well, actually, a lot of people managed to come in, but I didn't go out much. And I'm almost missing that. Yeah, of course, it's it's that's that's a great luxury in a way. I mean, a lot of people just have to go to work. They oh, the people that there. had to go to work. And that's that's obviously the people who are really out there on this stuff. How do you feel now with Omicron is how Omicron. Well, I'm, I'm. I don't know what to think. I, I am, I am, triple boost. I've now triple vaxxed. I got my booster two weeks ago, and I just feel. I, and again, I'm not immune compromised. I'm not so old. I like this idea. We're young, old, Andrew. Uh-huh. <laughs> the cusp. Okay. Before. I'll, I'll but cling to that. I, I think, I think we have to live our lives, and and I, I can't see us doing another shutdown. But I, I wanted to, to go with Christina. That you know. God help you if you lost someone through this, whether it was to the virus itself or to craziness. Um, But one of the gifts, we just did a show recently on the great, it's called the great resignation, that women in particular are not returning to work. Something like 1.8 million women who have just, they're not coming back right now. And examining that is what you were talking about, that year sabbatical, that ability to step back, to work from home. Uh, we got uh, listener comments from women who had been, you know, gone to work the minute their babies were three months old and are suddenly, you know, were at home and saying, wow, this is fantastic. If I can work from home or arrange my schedule, I will be much happier. So I think it's been, on an upside, a great moment to reassess our our work, our careers, our our lives, and and this is at all levels. It's not just a luxury, you know, women executives. Um, 
was a service industry. You know, they're not going to come back necessarily for the crappy wages that they had. So I, I think there is a, an upside will be maybe a whole reckoning with the way we live our lives, the way we work, you know, if 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 we're lucky. And that was something we did on the Femsplainers. Is it we, Danielle and I are liberated women of the new century. However, we are not hardline feminists, and we were able to entertain uh, different points of view. And I also thought a lot of women are going to stay home. And suddenly that hectic, mad lifestyle, mm-hmm. I don't know how people do it. And you, you earn less money, but you also save a lot of money if one person is staying home and has the time to cook or has the time to take care of the house. And I think that we probably will see more re-engagement with traditional roles for well for also homemaking. we all discovered like instacart and things so suddenly that this whole part of your running around day uh was cut back and we all huddled in our homes and thank god for the people who were out there you know delivering delivering groceries and things but it it so so there there i think are some upsides so long as um we cannot overly politicize this and but speaking of the politi- politicization there is an authoritarian streak in people, and this was an occasion for micromanaging the population. And some people will not want to give that up. Someone said the other day, when do you think that we won't have to wear masks in airports? They had a little poll on Twitter, and the winner was never, because that's sort of a place you have people from all over the world. And you just think back, you know, most of us didn't get sick in airports, and it was we were free of masks i'm wondering if now every and and it could be that the latest variant is an example of this is that anything is now going to trigger this response of shutdowns control and i i just came back from england where a uh, boris well he's recently said can you please put your masks back on again because of Omicron? But basically, no one was wearing masks. The life was going. They on. really weren't. They weren't in London either. No, it it it's uh, it was it was felt very much normal. Except as soon as I got there, I had to take a test and send it in. Before I could get back into the U.S., I had to get a test to let me back in, regardless of my vaccination status. And there was something about that that just kind of slightly. I know it's reasonable, but it was like so. I might not be able to get home. I might be stranded in another country because I just caught a virus. Now, I understand the reason behind that, but I'm just talking about the emotions here. Now, at the very beginning, I was a bit Karen-y. I was like, I was scared. I didn't know what this virus was. Hey. I knew that my lungs are shitty. I knew I have a immunocompromised. And people were running. I remember whether you remember this, but people were jogging past me and breathing in my face. It turns out I shouldn't have been worried, but I was kind of... A of little karen we We're all know. a little boss. But hey, then- hey, hey, I'm my inner goddess is a Karen, so... Watch what what you okay. watch what you say about Karens. Well, I was being a little bit of an asshole. I was saying, why can't you put your mask on when you're on by me? And I just realized after a while that I was, I'm just I'm just I'm just being too defensive. And then and then I was like, okay, I got once I got my my shot, my first shot. I was like, okay, I'm gonna get back to normal. And I was all looking forward to this great summer. And then wham, we have this Delta variant, and we're all then okay. we're all. But it's hardly again. The, the boot of fascism descending on our necks to wear a mask in an airport or get. Test before, and one of the things I noticed, like you, Andrew, I was in Europe last month, um, and we went through Portugal and Spain, and then ended up in England, and all of these countries had been under much harsher and longer lockdowns than than we have been, and 
we happened to be there on the day that they lifted the mandates to wear in, masks. In France? In, in, Spain. in Spain. In Spain and in Lisbon. And we hadn't quite realized that that's what happened because we went out one night and people were all in the streets and the bars and at no masks. And it was, and when you had societies that work together, even if at times it felt absurd that there was lockdowns or it was stupid to wear a mask here or there, they got through it and then they got through it and, and it was over. And as you saw in London, I mean, I couldn't believe it either. I kept thinking I had to put on my mask when I got in a taxi or something. And it, 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 it was at sort of At the same done. time, there have been and still are quite angry and violent protests going on throughout Europe in lots of major cities. Well, that's probably it's one not, of my relatives is in that. Well, there's there are a lot of your relatives. <laughs> but nonetheless, it's, it's true too, especially in France. There's a hugely powerful anti-vaccine group. What, right. what fascinates me is why the far right, which one would think would want to control people. This is a great opportunity. And to, I always wondered about fascistic. Trump, like he's so germ-phobic. Why he didn't just go with it? Well, they they are, have, it seems to me that was a, Andrew. That say what? They are controlling them through this anti-vax movement. You know, the, like the anti-vaxxers think that Fauci and uh, Bill Gates are controlling them. But in fact, the propagandists and the Russian trolls and whoever else wants to foment these insane conspiracy theories, which I now keep up on, thanks to my relative, um, they, are, they are the ones. And, and, and it's, it's funny to watch a relative who used to think of himself as being on the far left, repeating complete right wing Ted Cruz talking points. But this is where... This is where they do success for Touche. I mean, it always has been. Hollywood has always been an absolute bastion of crazy anti-pharmaceutical, anti-vax, mm -hmm. sort of lefty kind of paranoia about these things. And then you've now had that coming up on the anti-vax right. Now, I'm, I understand the, the left position, but I'm fascinated by it. And now maybe it is because, very simple, people don't want something done to their actual bodies their actual physical bodies. It has to be done to them. Now, I've, I, and I, I, I kind of, I'm okay with that in a way. I think that instinct is not bad. Uh, I don't want to live in a country where everyone's lining up to put themselves at the, at the mercy of the medical authorities. The medical authorities are fallible as well. On the other hand, of course, I do see this as incredibly counterproductive and dangerous for people. But I, would you, would you, do you really think people should be rented? Going to work because should of be this, what prevented from going to work. Oh, I don't. I mean, I think that if they refuse to have the vaccine, maybe they should be tested. But I don't think you should force someone to. So as long as the testing is an alternative to forcing yeah. someone to vaccine, that seems and, that and seems and fair enough to me. And the other thing well. that's very important to me is that those of us who have been vaccinated, and I can speak freely because now I'm so old, I'm in the the the, the group most at risk. So I'm speaking for that group. Um, People aren't dying now. We all were terrified initially because what we were seeing in, in northern Italy and, you know, hospitals overwhelmed. That's not happening now. Well, the, the people who are not vaccinated are dying. And, but and that is seeing... their choice. <laughs> That's their choice. <laughs> my body, my death, my choice. No, I, I mean, I, I, I'm sorry. I don't glory in it, but hey. I also developed, I have to say, during the HIV experience, a certain skepticism towards medical authority because I knew, even though there were good medical authorities, there were also 
bad results. There were also faulty reasoning. There was also a scare that every heterosexual would get HIV. There was a whole bunch of stuff that came out that turned out not to be true. And I just decided that whenever these health issues come up, I would genuinely research them for myself. I would try and seek the best way not to die. I mean, that was my random. And and I I did my own homework. And, And I don't begrudge anyone doing their homework on these vaccines. But they are, if you do your homework, incredibly safe. Yeah, but the homework they're doing is watching YouTubers who are spreading unbelievable conspiracy Yes, but it's theories. also true that this has gone on now for a long time, that many of the things that we thought would be over by now are not over. We now realize that we're going to be having taken these vaccines for the rest of our lives, probably every several months. That's a big thing for people well, maybe to not, absorb. But it could become like the flu vaccine. I take it every year. You know, it's another thing people me. haven't taken account of is there are a lot of people in this country, especially men, middle-aged men, who have no, who never go to doctors. Right. They haven't. I mean, when they were babies, they were vaccinated. But yeah. So they, it is a male thing, right? Middle-aged, largely men. male, unmarried. It, it typically, yeah, yeah. Because my it, brother, it, my brother's classic in the sense, but he has gotten all the vaccines. Yeah. But he still hates the people telling him he should get the vaccines. And well, that's fair. That seems to be a relatively sane position. I've now had all three. I've had J&J, Pfizer, and Moderna um, wow. because I'm super paranoid about these things. And I, I don't really worry about what the... Now, this would be... A, of course, whenever anyone says this on a podcast, they're dead the week later. But I don't have any fears about the vaccines whatsoever. But I do I do get it in some ways. You know, I'm used to medical authorities sticking needles in me. Some people aren't, especially men. And they they pride themselves in some way on their resilience and their self My my grandfather, for yeah. example, I think of him, he was in an engineering company. He was ni- in his mid nineties in hospital when he had his first antibiotics. Uh because he would never go to the bloody doctor. And that is also very powerful in England where people don't like to go to the doctor. They don't want to bother them. fascinating insight. I've never thought of it that way. Like the stiff upper lip, the, the male, like the, the guys who end up falling off ladders and dying because they won't go to the hospital. Oh, it's when they nothing. It's yeah. nothing. nothing. It's a don't, flesh wound. Don't make a and going to the doctor, making an appointment, who, you know, they don't do that. Now, men are also dying in slightly larger numbers than women, right? I think is it. Not, a, oh, of, of COVID. Yes, COVID. maybe for and, that reason. Uh, of all, most all the major diseases, they get them many years earlier. And the feminists always say, oh, women are neglected. They don't take our symptoms as seriously. It's because if you come in with symptoms... There are many, many things it can be. If a man comes in and he says, well, I'm having heart, he's probably having a cardiac arrest that moment that you see him. I mean, men are much more averse to to the medical establishment. Yeah. And we should have thought of that. I mean, maybe found way, there are ways to- Make it really masculine. Yeah. This yeah. injection will- <laughs> There's nothing boost, masculine about having Will it. boost <laughs> your virility in addition to protecting you from COVID. It, 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 just, it will just- It's a to, big no, needle. It's <laughs> a big fucking needle. It's the biggest needle for you. Not? I mean, uh, but- uh, It doesn't hurt. What about the kids? I mean, this has been underreported, underlooked, it seems to me. Again. That what has happened to boys? I mean, I can't- I mean, girls, it's going to be rough for all kids. But for young adolescent boys- Outside contact, being with other boys is kind of a critical part, and they've been basically devastating. It, it's devastating, Andrew. and we already have some early warning signs that the reading gap, which girls have always had the advantage, is now larger. 
the college application gap. Boys were behind before it, across the uh, you know class spectrum and, and all ethnicities and races. Boys are less likely to succeed educationally, and now because of the pen, partly because of the pandemic, it's mid. But also, girls, of course, by by resorting to social media as their means of communication, which has been intensified, I presume, during the pandemic, they're also becoming more depressed. There's more rates of suicide, of different various disorders, psychological disorders. Uh, and the mean girl syndrome in their teenage years on social media is just beyond cruel, right? I mean, it, it's an absolutely... Yeah, I'm not sure what to make of that. Like Jonathan Haidt, whom I greatly respect, but he is sort of said... This is a crisis, and it may be. I remain open-minded, but so many times before I've heard about girls in crisis. Every 10 years, there's another crisis for girls. And they seem to, if you look at the actual data, they're still going to college in greater numbers, and they're still doing much better in school. And So I'm interested but somewhat skeptical that it's, it, I'm sure there are some girls for whom it's been devastating, but overall... Most girls are resilient, adaptive, and uh, tend to, in something like having to work at home with your teachers and so forth, girls are much more likely to adapt to that than boys. So is this going to be a permanent loss of learning? Are we going to have oh, for everybody. a, a yeah. generation that's we going already to be much had, less? We, even before this, we had a large cohort of young men who live outside the world of the written word, who are not going to find a future in an information economy. And now education, but you, you need an education beyond high school, as some Brookings uh, Institute um, researchers said, that, that, that the passport to the American dream is education beyond high school. And increasingly, girls are getting it and boys are not. And the consequence is that they, what is their future? There was a time where you could goof off in high school, but then get a job uh, work, you know, some kind of menial job, but really work hard and make it into the middle class, that's no longer possible, or hardly possible. And so uh, the problem is poorly educated, uneducated boys, um, they are there. They're out there. They have some unpleasant ways of getting themselves noticed. Uh, but most societies would work overtime assiduously to attend to their needs and incorporate them in how could you bet how what could we what's the single thing we could do to help boys right now in this country I mean I was I had an interesting chat because I got together with my old high school buds I went to an all boys school that was uh, a pretty rough and ready place to be honest with you it British was, it was British yeah. it was all boys but then it went it for all sorts of complicated reasons it started admitting girls like four, three years into when I was there as a way to raise money, primarily. And I also met up with a, a woman who was part of that first generation of girls. And the bond that we had as boys was incredibly intense, and it still is, just getting together. We love being together. We love the stories. We go over all the teachers. We go over all the people in our class. But it was funny to hear Sarah's her name, uh, talk about and she said, you know what the thing that you never noticed? You probably never noticed. I walked into that boys' school. You know what? It smells different. <laughs> there is a smell. There is a boys' smell in this school that she encountered. She said, the, and she said that years later, because we're all buddies with Kira Starmer, who's a labor leader, 
because uh, we are in the same class. And, and uh, she said she went to see Kier at Parliament. And as soon as she entered Parliament, it was the same smell. <laughs> <laughs> That's and, why I don't want gender blended well, bathrooms. Well, you go you go into a girl's bathroom and it smells of deodorant and perfume and yeah. soap and it's lovely. <laughs> and boys' bathrooms, Ugh. it smells of piss. But this is this is this I'm isn't sorry. just the bathrooms. Piss. This is everywhere. Yeah. This is the yeah. general teenage boy happens. funk yeah. that yeah. exists. And if any I mean maybe that is what patriarchy really is. It's that strange smell that No, it's the something more. It's also boys, the way they show affection and emotion is by put downs jocular i mean they they razz each other they they it, it and it's it's brilliant it makes them funny they i see it with my two sons they love each other no two boys could love each other but, but it's all humor and girls relate to each other in a different way it's typically not that we're not put downs and you don't do that you don't wrestle you don't you know like start fu- boxing with your the nastier an epithet you can apply to your male friend is the greater compliment if 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 your if your he, friendship he'd is... think something he'd think that there was like you were out of your mind. <laughs> well, well, you asked how how would we address it, and and Christina, I think this is how you and I became years ago in the nineties bonded as sisters in our views on feminism. Is at bottom you have to recognize biological differences, which even more than ever we're not allowed to do. Yeah, it's a hate so, crime. Biology so, is now a hate so crime. Biology Sorry. is a hate crime. So recognizing that boys have uniquely different problems from girls, that what girls, the Gen Z generation, and this is this is one of the reasons we started this podcast together, was you're worried because on every level, this generation is, as you say, suicide rates are up, depression is up, anxiety. They're not actually having sex for all that you read about. You know, they're, 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 it's like they're frightened of it. And now, and I know you've covered this, Andrew, really, really brilliantly on your podcast, um, you're now having these kind of non-binary adolescents just opting out of their sex altogether, both male and female, because it's it's they don't want to confront their sexuality at all. Um, and so boys, and Christina, you've written so well about this over the years, boys got kind of relegated because Feminism took the fore, and there was a sense that women had gotten the short end of the stick, and girls needed more participation in school, and blah blah blah. And, and there was rightness to that, some justice. But now it's like we can't talk about any of these sexual differences honestly. Um, to have all boys schooling, I think, is fantastic. To have all my my youngest daughter went to an all girls school, and it was fantastic because you're clear of those distractions. Um, but it's it's a real problem, and and we're seeing these contagions. I think you had um, Abigail Schreier on. I have never actually interviewed her. But... Oh, okay. But I she wrote she wrote like a book her. about how this was a sort of contagion going through like clusters in schools. Uh, 13, it's it's, it's unbelievable girl. the number of girls now that are identifying as trans. If if they're not trans, they're non-binary. But it's a way, and girls seem to do this. This is. Our vice as teenagers, it be, you know, it's not fun to be a teenager at all. Let's Until just you have anorexia that. and you have bulimia you have and you cutting. have cutting and, and uh, attempted suicides. Boys right. actually do it uh, so, far more often, but girls have right. more attempts. But non-binary is a way, or trans, is a way to opt out for a little while to take on a new identity, which teenagers like to do. And we're now also seeing that reflected in boys who have never shown any sign of 
being gay or having dysphoric uh, gender issues, dysphoria gender dysphoria at 13 14 suddenly coming to their parents and, and we've talked we've I've talked to parents on the programs I've talked to Abigail I've talked to transitioners about this this sudden pressure and going back to sort of online contagions and online conspiracies that there is such a forceful online community that is encouraging adolescents to the minute they question their own identity or ex or express doubts they're encouraged and parents say, are thought, oh well you're obviously the opposite and sex we, we and we know that that something like suicide is contagious we know that these mental disorders they can become fads Right. And, and I these, say and this, these girls are clusters. Well, let, where it's just, happening. Let, yeah. I, I I don't want us to go by saying that being trans is a mental no, disorder. No, no. Let me just uh, start by let me, even before you start. There are authentically trans people, and some of my heroines, Deirdre McCloskey, but more than that, Candy Darling, who was a I don't know if she was trans, but she was a transvestite, maybe <laughs> trans, an Andy Warhol superstar who gave me my lessons on how to be feminine because I was like this hippie chick and I came into Max's Kansas City with long hair and she said you could be you could be very attractive but you need makeup <laughs> what i find kind of interesting is that the term non-binary is is yeah. obviously almost designed for teenagers yes. it it, it yes. gives you this third option it gives you an identity and it makes you cool and it's all the cool. rest of it yeah. however it's also kind of seeking a kind of approval from authorities now, when I when I was growing up in yeah. the 70s in an all-boys school, let me tell you a story. Now, that, anybody that tells you those were terribly regressive, stereotypically uh, sexist norms of male and female back there, and misremembering the 1970s, yes, yeah. there was no question there were men and there were women. But you would look at people like look at glam rock, look at Bowie, look at look at Queen, look mm -hmm. at look Kiss. at look at look at this incredible. <laughs> Uh, gender bending. Look at, uh, especially, I think Bowie is kind of the Bowie, ultimate, or someone like Grace before. Jones. I mean, the, the the way in which, in fact, what's cool about it is that you have the existing uh, structure and you rebel against right. it. You don't want to have a new label. You want to be the rebel against masculinity. You, as a man, as a woman, you want to be the rebel against femininity. As a woman, I there was a kid in my school. He was two years older than me. His name was Johnny Poncho. And he just showed up every day with an afro, kind of afro. He had a big curly hair, but also eyeliner and makeup and lipstick every day. Mm -hmm. uh, I remember those guys from the 80s and late 70s. They were 70s. fucking super cool as even, well. But and, even and, before, and, you go you back, you go back to gay. the 60s, you had Truman Capote. Well, he was gay. He, definitely he was gay, but he was fearless. He was one of the first. He just thought... Uh, he didn't. He was an unembarrassed, you know. But the wonderful adoption of eye makeup, for example, yeah, uh, or or really ambiguous clothing. Now, here's the thing. But I think Johnny was or may have been trans for the following reason: that when we admitted girls, of course, we were all in uniforms. What happened? But the first day the girls came to school, Johnny wore the girls' uniform. <laughs> he just walked in there with a skirt and the rugby team you know the thing about it was because he had a brother who was in, as I remember he was in the rugby team it was a total what we called ruggabuggers who were incredibly you know they were the gods really mm -hmm. of the school but uh, they they totally respected well, somebody... Johnny because he had the balls to wear a skirt so to speak and <laughs> and if it today that would not be subversion it would be actually 
conformity. Well, that's right. the thing. And well, coolness, well, some, whereas some, then it was genuinely violating and That's genuinely why I cool. question this entire woke revolution, because it t- tends to be led by assistant deans and authorities <laughs> that indoctrinate these kids. It's not coming from below. That's social change. This is something that's coming from on high. Well, that's somebody, somebody, somebody said to me that, uh, a psychiatrist actually, she said that, um, you know, non-binary is the new goth. So I, I, I think there's some truth to that. And, and I don't, Andrew, I don't want to, um, to your point, obviously you don't reject the fact that there are genuinely gender dysphoric people. And, and, and I think it's the easiest thing in the world and, and to say, well, obviously, if you feel that way, you should be that way and we all accept it. And, and so it's hard to have this conversation in a more general theater where you just look mean if you start questioning or saying, you know, but this is not what we're talking about. Right. And we're also not talking about what is happening. And you, I, you've had some great programs on this. What is happening to women's uh, spaces in England and here? What is happening in women's prisons? In women's prisons. And you've got, I mean, Justin Trudeau from my homeland of Canada has said that, you know, prisoners will be assigned to the prisons of their chosen gender identity. You know, where is that going to lead? And that's what I think um, I think is an important conversation, and we can't seem to be having it without many, being many called trans a people, Many trans people agree with us. Right. Their no, voices are absolutely aren't true. It's heard, absolutely but they true. they agree with us. But that's, you've got this fierce activism. You've got this fierce online thing. And, and again, you could say with adolescents, okay, fine, be non-binary. Call yourself George if you're a girl. No problem. Be who you want to be. But we're also seeing a, a, a rush to medical interventions with puberty blockers, with reassignment surgery at very early ages. We have no idea what this is going to do to them, uh, inc- including or, or, and to the degree we do, we can know it can make girls sterile eventually. And, and they're making these decisions at 13, 14, 15. So, so, but, you, you, but the parents of these children are not allowed to object or question without being called phobic and i think that's i think that's just wrong <laughs> going well, back to your point about science you know <laughs> there has to be presumably some kind of place where we can actually be a little nuanced about it so for example uh marriage equality people come at me and they say well you know you wanted to redefine marriage why can't they redefine biology or redefine mm-hmm. it out of existence And my point was, no, that we're not actually redefining it. What we're saying, and we're making a couple of distinctions here, and one is civil equality, civil formal equality under the law, which happens to every individual regardless of their particular identity. And that that is something that I don't think one should compromise on at all, that people all should have the right to vote, they should have the right to marry the person they love, only one person, but they they should be included within that. It does not mean that the inclusion of two men in a marriage or the inclusion of two women in a marriage is going to mean that the marriage is absolutely identical in every way to a heterosexual marriage. It isn't because the sexes are different. Uh, There will be degrees of monogamy, for example, with lesbians on one extreme, gay men on the other, (laughs) and straight people somewhere in the middle across the spectrum. Um, The lesbian marriages are going to be the most stable probably <laughs> compared to the heterosexual. Well, there are all sorts of things, but they are no. definitely distinctly different than gay male marriages and, 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 and we couldn't really 
So in other words, what I'm saying, you can make a distinction between a civil formal argument, which is the same with trans rights, yes, uh, while accepting that reality, the substance of reality is going to be different in each particular case. So the substance of being a trans woman is going to be different than the substance of being uh, a woman who has never questioned her, her, her gender. But formally, they can be treated as women in a civil, formal, legal context. So the question is when you go from the formal and civil to the actual nitty-gritty, as it were, and that means difficult questions, like how do we accommodate trans people in prisons? And, we... and actually, I worry about this because I think uh, I'm often misled by Twitter where people will make a big deal about a case which is extremely rare. Maybe it never happens, and there just hasn't, haven't been cases in prisons where men work their way into a women's prison to prey on the women. And no, it, no we, we, there are plenty of evidence of assaults. But, but, by, there, by but there is evidence. And part of me is just thinking, well, I shouldn't, uh, maybe this is just cherry picking. And But I then, think, I, then I fall back on common sense that they're going to be. I think, I think we should have like markers for womanhood. First of all, got to walk the walk, got to get the surgery. Really? Yeah. Yeah, got to do it. Then you oh, have well, to, to walk in a woman. No, no. Yeah, no, and then and then you to have to run trans. carpool in a minivan with screaming children. <laughs> and then you have to put everybody else's needs first. And then we can start having a conversation about what it means to be a woman. <laughs> I'm 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 I I I'm going to I'm going to say that at this point when we're talking nuance, <laughs> we have Danielle's husband has arrived. <laughs> I suspect. Oh, the mansplainer right. so is David here. David Frum is here <laughs> to add nuance to all this nuance. I've, I'm so shocked, Andrew. He's like clutching his sides at the thought of truly walking the walk. <laughs> Look, <laughs> can we not also agree, hey, David, that but, there are there is not a single female experience that what you're talking about is a particular kind of female uh, experience. And, uh, and I do think, I, I mean, this is where we're going to disagree, I think, is that even though Someone may be physically different, obviously, as a trans woman than a woman who's never had any conflicts with her sex or gender. Um, psychologically, uh, their experience may be much more similar to that of a woman than who has, uh, uh, let's just say, a regular woman. Uh, biological. Than you might than a biological woman than than you would imagine. And the, 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 the interesting aspect of trans experience is that it really is experienced as entirely being of the sex that they're biologically not. And it's really true. And if you try, and I've tried to imagine this, it's like, imagine that that is true. It's not an illusion. You actually, in your brain, in your soul, you are a man. But as you look at your body, it is not a man's body. And I think all of us, should, if we're going to get down to substance, realize that is an incredibly difficult challenge for any person in life. And, and I believe, I can imagine it could happen. it's a kind of paradoxical existence. It's intensely difficult. And we should do everything we can not to hurt those people in any way that we can. No, I, I think about that. At the same time, we have to acknowledge some distinctions in public life and in private life. And, well, and, and, and also make the some percentage of those who experience Right. That true level, but we're not now even psychologically able to distinguish between people not, who are really politically able. struggling with that real dysphoria, which is a very small percentage. And 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 by the way, the preeminent um, uh, 
therapist and authority on this in Canada from Toronto, Ray Blanchard, hmm. was left the practice because he, he used to make, um, not make, he would have his patients spend a year in the opposite sex before going through surgery, before taking any of these hormones. Um, and he has now left that position because you are not allowed to distinguish and, 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 and help someone. I think that is the compassionate thing. You, you think you're a woman or a man? All right, live that life for a year before we take more drastic measures. And this is not what we're but having the conversation kind of, with 12-year-olds. But not as a kind of condition of getting you a parole. It, it, that's, that's, but it's, it's so psychologically important. It is. And, but, but, and I think where you're right is that, in fact, uh, that psychological position, that a unique trans experience, cannot possibly be equated with someone that says, I was feeling a little like a woman this morning, and then this afternoon I felt more manly, and therefore I'm non-binary. In some ways, that kind of moody sex identification is a, is a kind of, in some ways, an insult to the real challenges that a, a trans person actually has to overcome and deal with. It's a kind of, it's a kind of identity slumming. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> where you are trying to attract some of the moral quality of being someone in that particularly amazing and difficult challenge uh, without actually going through it yourself. And that's, a, I think, a particularly cheap thing. The trouble is the way this whole thing is talked about on Twitter and elsewhere. And I'm glad we're able to talk about it here. And the thing with Abigail Schreier, I don't, I can see exactly what Abigail is saying, and I, I agree with 90% of it. And the same with J.K. Rowling. I, I absolutely, but how do we then convince people that these people are making these arguments not out of any kind of animus, right. not out of any kind of animus? It is possible to have disagreements about this based upon the arguments, not about your whether you're well, a good or, or bad person. Or out of self-protection for women's rights that we've spent decades trying to achieve. And if you're suddenly saying that women's medicine, you know, is exclusionary because there are women with penises, um, if you are suddenly saying that women's, women's sports, that girls, biological girls in high schools are now going to have to compete with, with boys former boys who have gone through adolescence and tes testosterone that seems to be the key It'd be interesting if if like the old choirs you know that they kept some boys sopranos if you did that with boys who wanted to be track stars or compete with girl sports that would be a fair a fairer mark but somebody who is a, a boy who's gone through adolescence and then says at 18 or 19 I want, I'm a girl and I'm going to compete in girl sports you have put all of the the biological girls on that team at a huge disadvantage. And and that's and that's the sort of madness we're talking about. We're not talking about being uncompassionate to people who really are experiencing this dysphoria. We're seeing we're we're seeing a kind of, I think, a kind of madness and denial of biology that is, you know, and and who gets who's getting we, we don't see men's sports being challenged. We don't see men's health being challenged. We don't see men's clinics being challenged. We don't see there women, aren't we any don't men's see clinics. People, we also don't see women clamoring to get into men's prisons. So <laughs> so let's let's be honest about who is getting the short end of the stick on this one. You do actually. I hate to say this, but you do. I mean, there are uh, uh, trans girls, let's say, who in 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 high school that do run in the boys' track. 
um, there aren't that many, and we don't talk about and, them. And our, because maybe we haven't heard of them. Because it's not an issue. <laughs> right, because it, they're they not win. in any way a threat <laughs> not to a anybody threat. else. Exactly. And that's why I have absolutely no objection to completely allowing competition for for young trans kids who who, who trans into being a female. Uh, trans, trans, sorry, transition to being a male uh, from being a female. So then, then competing with other men, even if they haven't had the testosterone, uh, because they're going to be, be they're going to be vulnerable. They might be beaten, but they want to be identified as men. And I think there is absolutely no reason why they shouldn't. The only objection is because it gives an unfair advantage. In mm -hmm. fact, the, if for the other sex or the other gender, it is an unfair disadvantage. Mm -hmm. Actually, mm -hmm. so in fact, it's it's kind of proof. This is not about banning trans people, trans kids. It's about fairness in sports, which is why it would only apply to boys who become girls and not to girls who become boys. And when you think about that, you realize that a lot of this debate is, is completely bullshit. And what really completely enrages me about the gay groups is that they will say things they know are not true. Mm -hmm. As in, this in, these initiatives are about stopping trans kids being able to engage in sports. Right. Not true. See, that, that, uh, that's what I wondered about the trans movement, is that you had a powerful gay rights establishment, and then suddenly gays had their rights. And what do you do? And this issue, which actually, I, I do think there's a legitimate human rights issue for genuinely trans people, tiny, tiny minority of people, but I sympathize, empathize, and Danielle and I agree that you do what you can to accommodate, respect, and treat them humanely. That tiny, but now, suddenly, the, it's now the fashion for lesbians, just a girl who is a lesbian to say she's trans. So the population of trans has grown exponentially, and now these outrageous demands on the population to change the way we talk about fundamental things, I mean, the category of men and women. And then you have radicals, whom I've known ever since I've been in the, in, in as a philosopher challenging some of the radicals in the Society of Women in Philosophy, they wanted to break down the gender system. And so for them, it's an opportunity to burn it to the ground. There are no identities, and this proves it. And as a result, we just sort of have a chaos. And But what I find kind of fascinating in that respect is that if you were part of a transgender movement seeking to enshrine transgender identity into civil rights law. You just had the biggest victory in the history of trans rights. Right. That trans people, by virtue of sex discrimination, as Gorsuch himself declared, are fully protected under the 1964. Now, you would expect that a sane trans rights movement would have had celebrations. Yes. There would have been declarations of victory. They would have said to their their funders, look, we really delivered. We, did we have yeah. got we even got the legitimacy of having a Trump nominee actually yeah. write the decision. And yet no one knows this happened. No. You would not think of it as happening as a victory at all. Because they've just banked that. And then it's a whole new set of demands, which then is equated and conflated with that amazing achievement, which they're somehow not really advertising. They're not advertising. Really. So you realize it's just, a, it's chasing itself. And, and, uh, and how long can a society play this game? It can play it 
for them, I think as long as people don't want to hurt people more than they want to Or until there are lawsuits, which I think are going to happen. Medical lawsuits for kids who were put on these medications early. And, and I think that's what in America, anyway, that's what's that seems to be. I can imagine if I were if I if I had if I had been a boy that had said, "I think I might be a girl because I don't like rugby," <laughs> which which was true, uh, and some have been put on puberty blockers in such a way that I never developed the capacity to have an orgasm in my entire life subsequently, which is what happens if you go directly into trans cross sex hormones. Uh, you never develop the sensitivity that puberty can give oh. you. Uh, I would be absolutely apoplectic if I was an adult. Well, well maybe you, I wouldn't. You, maybe you, because no. I'd never know what an orgasm you, you was. Made, I'd never miss it. You have made the most profound philosophical point, and you've made it. I'm sure you've made it on your show many times. You made it on it's the because I'm smoking this, this, this. No, well, this joint. Uh, what, I'm not. I'm so I can. I, 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 he loves it so much. <laughs> David, David, He's such a David is sitting there. Like I was just going to say, <laughs> you pointed out that if you are being called a bigot, you, the founder, one of the founders of the male, you know, gay marriage uh, movement. That if you are told that you are a bigot for not being attracted to a trans man, you are that's the end of homosexuality. It has to be the right, end of homosexuality. Right. So so it's it's like from a woman's perspective, if you're telling me it means nothing to be a woman with a uterus and breasts and childbirth and periods and everything that that then you're erasing womanhood. And I think that's how we feel. And and and, and, and you get all, called a turf, you know. That's all true. But then the society comes back at us and says, You want to be you want to be mean yeah. to that person? And you want to be cruel as a society. Uh, and you are you are the teacher that's running the track team, and there is this one uh boy who really wants is a girl and wants wants to run in the girls track and you say no to that kid and that's the other truth of it like we can talk about this and we i think right abstractly in practice i think how okay, do you tell I, someone? I, I, but, uh, but would have said that's nice you want to do this but we're going to make you run with the boys since you that's your you know that's your and then he will get fired by the <laughs> school for even suggest. I mean, they're well, also we're suggest, dealing let's with. Let's just think there's something, some more saner alternative, which is simply that, in fact, they decide to let it go, and let let the thing ha- let the race well, happen then, because they don't. Because in fact, they don't want to push this, especially when I don't mean take out the threatening, the intolerance, all that stuff. Don't right, do. right, right. Just as a human being, you can see people making that decision for and understanding they're being coherent, but doing it anyway. And I think this is also true about race. I think it's about true in a lot of other things. It's just about how do you look difference in the face and 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 make it matter. And that's, I mean, I just try to wrestle with this. That's all. I, I it has been it's been horribly painful as someone who who really does care about trans I mean I and it sounds like I'm preaching or posturing when I say that but I, I to be thought of as transphobic when it's really just, it just I'm transphilic transphilic but I throw in a, a thought to your question <laughs> okay hi David hello jumping <laughs> in um, which may, may segue uh, which is an anecdote that comes from Josh Barrow a friend of ours uh-huh. um, so I'm going to I'm going to mangle the facts of this anecdote which are, which is a shame because the facts will make it great but there was. Two or three cycles ago, there was a race for mayor of New York City. Yeah. Um, and just before one of the debates, 
there had been an incident where a kitten had crawled onto the tracks of the New York subway. And, and the subway cars had stopped, and rush hour was messed up, and a million people were late for dinner, uh, late for picking up the kids at daycare, all to save this kitten's life. And at the debate, the candidates were asked, if it were your decision, what would you have done that day? And every one of the, I think this is the, the first election that Bill, Bill de Blasio won. Everyone said, got to save the kitten, got to save the kitten, got to save the kitten. And there was a Republican, there was a multi-candidate, there was a Republican candidate who said, kill the kid. <laughs> and, and Josh wrote this fantastic column in which he said, every society needs people to say, kittens, I, I, kittens are important. <laughs> but a million people getting home to dinner, someone has to say, no, someone has to say, kill the kitten. And that's, that's the historic role of conservatives and Republicans, as too. Absolutely. That, to my mind, is the perfect. It is the, I'm sorry, but I know this sounds awful, but this is reality. And let's be real about it. And that is exactly the conservative move. And it, it's amazing that we're, that's not the conservative move anymore, even though it kind of is, but it's not the Republican move anymore. There's but, actually yeah. a philosopher. Kill the kitten. Who, who try, tried to understand why are these, these incoherent arguments getting so much traction? And, I mean, he gave an, an example of uh, feminist theories that denigrate science as the male way of knowing, and you know, they're incoherent. But he said, if, a, if a, someone comes to a philosophy department and they give a, a talk, but it's really about them personally, and they're sort of saying their group, and they are a member of a certain ethnic group or a racial group, or they're women, and they're saying they're oppressed, and they tell their story, and you're in the audience, and you don't buy it. But if you challenge them, it seems indecorous. It seems rude. So who does challenge them? The person who's kind of like, uh, you know, on the spectrum who'll say, kill the kitten, you know, like, <laughs> you're wrong, you're... And he said, what happens in philosophy? And I saw this once at, at, at MIT, this feminist, uh, philosopher of feminism, uh, philosopher of science and feminist, went to MIT and was denigrating science and calling uh, Newton's laws a uh, sex manual and so forth, a rape manual. And uh, afterwards, I talked to a friend of mine who taught at MIT, and I said, did you say anything? And he said, well, I found it appalling. I said, did you say anything? And he said, I'm just hoping it'll go away. Well, it's not going away, but the people that would challenge her would seem rude and harsh. And who wants to be that person? No one wants to be that. I don't want to be that person. Yeah, there was a, a back in when I was at New Republic, um, it was this term, which was being the asshole of the week. Right. Uh, <laughs> and because it, it stems from Peter Jennings' Peter Jennings' old ABC News broadcast, which every week on Friday, they have a sort of person of the week, which would be some nice, nice positive, <laughs> upfilled, a little profile of someone doing some good somewhere. But of course, because of journalism, they had to have somebody come on and be quoted criticizing this person who is obviously a good person. And that was the <laughs> asshole of the week. And, and we all would volunteer to be the <laughs> asshole of the week because it was so much fun. If we ever got that role that we applied every week, Mickey Cowse was particularly good at being the asshole of the week. Oh, by the way, did you ever listen to the Mickey Cowse and, and, and Robert Wright Are you podcast? kidding? I, I'm obsessed with I it. I love it. it. I crave it. I wait for it the way I used to wait for the New Republic. And it's well, that's because out. when I was editor of the New Republic, TRB was... Mickey Kaus and Bob Wright alternating each, oh, they were each week, so good. which was 
probably one of the best editorial decisions I ever made. Um, yeah, and that's the thing, is that both of them are kind of playing the role, the kill the kitten role. But I mean, what's wonderful about Bob, I, th I mean, I think the many wonderful things about Bob, and I, I do think he's probably, history will find him to be the most incredibly important writer and thinker, as well as a, a decent human being. Now, where was I? Uh, I shouldn't smoke you're, a joint. You're, 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 you're editorial decision. Uh, <laughs> stay, stay in school, stay off drugs. And as, I like uh, that Mickey Cows too. Oh, yeah, he has, <laughs> he, he's, 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 the, he's the liberal. He is a liberal, for fuck's sake. He is a liberal. He's a liberal. He wants working classes to do well. He wants people to get out of poverty. He, he, wants, he cares about these issues, but he's also a super nerd and he doesn't like bullshitting. And he doesn't so like he bullshit. This... Neither of them do. They can't help it. And Robert Wright kind of knows he should be more sensitive, but he can't help it. And he just says what he thinks. And then, so the podcast is this just truth telling. And then resentment and grievance about <laughs> how everybody else is doing better than they are. And I enjoy that too. <laughs> yeah, but they're doing better. They're great. I, I mean, that's the other thing. You, it, it, uh, you know, they're so can, funny. Can I just draw attention? I, I want to give David Crumb some praise. This okay. is the first time I have ever seen him sit in a room with a lit joint. You've come to our house. He uh, has you, no choice. It's his house. It's his house. You vaped on, you know, outside. This like, is all accidental. This is like we a full old school joint. And David from, who is so anti-drug, is wafting past his nostrils. And I'm just, I'm just enjoying this spectacle. I've never seen I'm, I'm this. Not, I'm not loving it. I'm not I'm loving not. it. <laughs> this is an accident because we only decided last minute that David would come today because we've been having this fight, which you're going to get to right now. Well, we the, to my other favorite is David from... And a little like Mickey Kouse and Robert Wright is that people think they know them and they just, and then, so David is uh, favored by the, the, the left and then he'll talk about drugs or he'll talk about immigration. <laughs> and then they're like, oh my God. Oh, wait. <laughs> but he doesn't talk about drugs and immigration much anymore. Right. No. That's no, not true. I, because That's not... you've learned, it, what's the point? No, no. Well, I, I have, um, I wrote a, uh, piece for The Atlantic in, I think, the first two or three weeks of the Biden presidency. I wrote a big story for The Atlantic um, in the Trump presidency about immigration, but I wrote in the first two or three weeks, the border is his biggest problem. And if he doesn't address it immediately, um, because the, 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 uh, the problem he faces is you have to deal with not what your policy is, but what do the world's most cynical people smugglers tell people who don't speak English it is. And, uh, and you cannot rely because there's this defense. Well, Biden's policy was not as permissive as uh, these border crossers thought it was. Of course not. Of course it wasn't. It couldn't be. But you have the world's most cynical people repeating in other languages what it was. And he needed to send a message immediately. This is not going to be happening. But he couldn't have sent that message given the party he he's the head of. That's the point. Well, that was that. And hence... That's, I think hence that's, it's incoherence ever since. And, and hence one of his major, major problems as president. We've had this huge, I call it border crossing because it's not necessarily illegal. Most of them are entering the asylum system. Um, and it's not illegal to seek asylum even when you're doing so on pretty obviously grounds. <laughs> fictitious grounds. Um, so it's not illegal. But it, it has been one of his, along with the price raises, um, along um, uh, along with the price increases and and. Uh, uh, the, the very imperfect COVID recovery. Those have been his three big problems. It, they are huge yeah. problems together. I mean, yeah. I, I, I don't need to, because I'm, I'm as worried as you are. And yeah. just to reaffirm, <laughs> the last thing on earth I ever want to happen is Donald Trump to succeed in any way. Well, but, I, have, I will tell, I can, okay. I, I can tell the okay. story that I, I, I think the last weekend before the election of 2016, 
you were at our house for dinner. And um, I'm not a super optimistic person, oh, but I'm I certainly, certainly I more Christina optimistic was there too, yeah. than you. Chris Christina yeah, there. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm a more optimistic person than you are, um, which is, I guess, like one of those tallest building in Topeka, Kansas things. <laughs> and, and you were saying, Donald Trump is going to win. Donald Trump is going to win. Donald Trump is going to win. And I said, pshaw. <laughs> and I just thought, oh, there, there that's he goes. Not going, there that's he goes. Not, that is not going that to happen. That is so off and, the and wall. I, I, I remember I wrote this kind of prose poem about all the different groups that were going to co- come out and stop him, including women who own cookware with French words on it. Yeah, well, <laughs> your, your my pe- peeps your let peeps, me down. Your peeps <laughs> let me down. <laughs> <laughs> and and you kept saying no. I just have this terrible, sick feeling in my stomach. And of course, you were right. Okay, well, it's sweet of you to say that. It's sweet of you to say that. Do you feel he's going to win next time? Yeah. What's your I, gut? What's your gut? Read the tea leaves, Andrew. Uh, you were right last time. I am scared. Scared, uh, but what it, I was, what I, what, what I would, what I find interesting is what do we? I mean, is is Biden? Is the is the image of Biden settling into the public consciousness as a bit of a disaster and i know that sounds overkill and it is overkill but there is this this man is not present and he is not making the news he is some figure in the middle of all that that no one's quite got a handle on i think now am i am i complete i'm just telling you how it feels to me out there he he feels to me i and i don't say this in in a critical way but he feels to me like one of the unlucky presidents um so uh, Jimmy Carter is elected in 1976. He becomes president early in 1977. And what people now forget is he presided over two of the strongest years of job growth in American history. Unfortunately for him, they were his first two years. And then everything went to pieces in 1979 and 1980 for reasons that he largely had had very little control over. Um, And uh, he was conscientious. He was hardworking. He he was kind of a downer, but he was conscientious <laughs> and hardworking. But had he been able to run for re-election in November of 1978, he would certainly have won. Uh, running in November of 1980, crushed. Um, and the 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 que- the problem that Biden has is, um, I mean, maybe things will get better. But he has he took a lot of his good news in year one, and and you never want that. And now things it's we're heading into year two, and things are the prices are up. Um, uh, which means that interest rates are going to be going up soon. And that is something that you have to be quite old to remember. And one of the things I think you see sort of on um, liberal commentary and liberal Twitter um, that people say, well, it, it goes up by, it, so it goes up by a point. What does that matter? Well, if you're a business with a line of credit that has been at four points and it goes up to five points or six, yeah, it's a point or two. It's that's a 25, 33% increase in your cost of borrowing. Yeah, you're going to lay off people. You're certainly going to refrain from hiring people. So those are the things I'm worried about. The border problem is going is, is real. Um, and then there's the, the question of the of the president's health. And because one of the things that happens, and again, I don't want to endorse some of the wilder theories about this, but um, if the president doesn't tell in the modern media age, if the president doesn't tell his story or her story, no one's going to be able effectively to do it for the president because no one else will agree on what the story is. And that that is what is happening right now with the Democrats. Is the president is not strong enough to impose his narrative. You have warring factions. It's the Democratic Party. And they're all telling different narratives. And with the effect of instead of multiplying the number of your friends, you multiply the number of people you upset. Oh, God. So then we have <laughs> no, but, we have Kamala okay. Harris. No, so but, Kamala, what, what, Harris. What, what, what Kamala Harris likes French cookware. Okay, <laughs> that's right. That's true. She but, is kind but, of like. But let's let's, let's, let's the other thing that the difference between Carter 
in 78, say, and, and, and Biden in 22 or 24, is, is Biden's age. Let's be completely yeah. frank about it. It is, it, it is inconceivable to me that he will run for a second term. It's inconceivable to me that he would deem, for no fault of his own, for goodness sake, yeah. he is who he is, and he's as old as he is. And yeah. a second term? Yeah. Are we honestly, seriously asking people to for someone for four years? No, he can't be the well, nominee you, next time. I think you, he can. Kamala Harris would be obviously it would just be you could, the biggest blowout ever. ever. And who have they got? You can run if you're old if you've been very successful. I mean, one of my favorite examples of this is um, German politics. Uh, Konrad Adenauer, who was even older than Biden when he ran uh, his most successful campaign. I'm going to forget whether it was 1957 or 59. And uh, the, some of the car- car- commercials are on the internet and people can watch them. They're, they're very comical because, you know, when Adenauer takes over, Germany's a bombed out you know, it's, it's a, a foot and a half high. And by the time he takes over, by the time he finishes, everyone has a car. And and so his commercials say things like, you must vote exactly as you did last time so that nothing will change. <laughs> if you vote in any way differently, there might be change. And and people, and, and then they punctuate this by having, I remember this one of the ads, it's a cartoon and it shows this German- German go- democracy. German, German going to bed and he's woken up by the sound of an air raid siren, which is not a joke in the Germany of the late 1950s. And they said, this is the nightmare that things may change. Um, and they, his slogan in that election was no experiments. <laughs> that had a double meaning. You know what? <laughs> I'm sorry. I, you know what, but, David? But I, think, needs, I think it's a winning campaign for Biden. Biden, because you we need don't to del- want to go back to Trump. You need to deliver the success first, though. So if if it's true that in 2024 um, prices are stable and the crime is, and I didn't mention crime in my list of problems, the crime is under control, um, the borders under control. Yeah, then he's got he's got a story. But if Wait a minute, he, crime but is under control. If that's the case, if that border if the, under control. If that's the case, I don't see any signs of that. Well, he's got now three years. If he can do it in the next three years, yeah. but um, and and he may find just as I think what happened in Virginia in 2021 is a useful corrective um, that the, the Virginia election sent the message open the schools um, open the schools and you know and you know what the health of the teachers is less important it's important but it's not as important as m- the life chances of tens yeah. of millions of children um, that there there is a generation of children who are going to be 50 years from now paying the price of the school closing. Kill the kitten. Kill the kitten. <laughs> hey, David, I want to. I want to. I want to get back to this. So let, let's just game it out for a little bit. I know this is sort of prognosis stuff. We probably shouldn't do, but anyway, because this is in the back of a lot of people's heads right now. Um, it is unlike. I don't know where crime is going, but it is definitely not in a good place. And I think the Democrats have got on the wrong side of the issue. However strong Biden's statements are, the image the party is giving, especially in big cities, mm-hmm. is not good. It is on the wrong side of the immigration. He's on the wrong side of the immigration debate. I don't see how he gets out of it. Uh, because the more he does what he might need to do to prevent this, the arrival of another 1.7 million people in 12 months, and you only have to look at what's happening in Europe to see where the politics of yeah. this is going. Inflation, for God's sake, we haven't had that in a generation. It totally That's makes Jimmy me Carter think land. Jimmy Carter. It's a sort of, it just clicks off. And inflation is a classic populist move, you know, that you are stealing our savings. Yeah. Uh, so then what do you have? Foreign policy? Well, uh, no one cares in, in terms of an uh, election. And then you have an economy and a virus. So we're still having to get vaccinated every 
six months, say, for the indefinite future. This is, I mean, how does he recover? Um, he can, he can, some of these problems may be less dire than you think. And, and even, I don't like to use the word inflation. I, I, I say price increases because I'm not sure what we're seeing is a true across the board loss of the purchasing power of money. Um, I think what you're seeing is uh, things authentically becoming more expensive. It's not an illusion the way an inflation is. It's, it's, it's real. And part of what happened was in the, during the um, COVID crisis, we pivoted the way people spent their money from services to goods. And do, do you remember how at the beginning of COVID, there, all the, there seemed to be all of these tremendous shortages of toilet paper and um, potato chips? And, and the, it, the problem was not that we, we had were, our priorities. We had, I'm making this up. It, it isn't that, that we, the world, the world had run out of toilet paper. It was that Americans, before the COVID, spent half their food dollars outside their house and half their food dollars inside the house. And the things that came to your house were packaged in completely different ways. No, uh, then when you go outside the house, the potatoes are delivered in a 100-pound bag. And when you buy them at home, they're delivered in a 5-pound bag. And uh, so there was this huge surplus of the 100-pound bags of potatoes and this huge shortage of the 5-pound bags of potatoes, but there was no shortage of potatoes. And it, it took a while to work that out. And we're now doing some of that in reverse. Um, and if that can be done effectively, um, then then I think you can see you know some some good things happen. Um, and again, if uh, as you get people to work, as you get the schools open, uh, you may see an improvement in crime. I think a lot of the crime is about having high school age people having nothing to do and no super, and their parents are working and the kids aren't in school. And that is always a formula uh, for trouble. You get them into school um, that that may make a difference. And I think um, the the but you point your finger to the big problem, which is all of this takes, it's not enough to do it. You have to tell people that you have done it. And that takes a strong, forceful presidential presence, and that is lacking. Yeah. He has to tell a clear and cogent story, and he's not capable of it. Let's, let's be frank. And if he, if he gets the right writer, which he doesn't seem to have, uh, it might come off as not quite there. Writers um, can't do it for you. you have, it has, yeah. to, it, has, to, it so, has to come from your own thorax. So, so <laughs> you start to lose authority, the authority that you, you're already losing from low popularity and low ratings because you're not going to be the next person. Uh, and, and the party, everybody's beginning to jostle for position. Um, uh, I mean, it seems to me, let's not get ahead of ourselves, but... I'm incredibly pessimistic about the Democrats at this point. I mean, incredibly, but pretty pessimistic about them. But think their main hope is the Republicans being even crazier and perhaps getting majorities next year and then showing themselves to be completely insane and, and scary and then having the country rush back to some kind of secure harbor. At least when I say the country, I mean the to two or three percent. But, but this takes us to the issue which which you invited me here to talk about, yes, which is how, how do we <laughs> how how do we hold people to account for the things they've they've done? Um, and I, I I'm not correcting. You, I just I know that you had this in mind. Yes. That um, if the, the the big question about the Trump years is will there be accountability for things that have happened, and and can we be can we be sensible about separating out the things that are normal politics and the things that are not. I mean, one of the things that bothered me was a lot of people got very, um, they identified Glenn Young Kim, the successful candidate for governor of Virginia, as a Trumpist. And you don't have to vote for Glenn Young Kim. I mean, he really, he is a very conservative person. And if that's not your politics, don't vote for him. But uh, Glenn Young Kim, if that's the future, that's optimistic. That's that we want to get to a world in which Glenn Young Kim is facing Kamala Harris 
in a general election. And then if we can do that, we're saved. Um, and, and then vote whichever way you want uh, as between those two choices. But if we can get to that future, we're saved. Um, but we, the way we get to that future is by understanding what happened that was abnormal. Um, and un understanding January 6th, and that includes understanding what, ha what the, the Trump-Russia story, because that was part of the abnormality in many ways. That was um, that, w and and what has been, what, and the thing that uh, the articles that we've been writing back and forth uh, to and to and for each other, that there has been this kind of, as you would say, there's a kind of we have this ecosphere where things get exaggerated. We have this cable news problem, which you know, you, the way you get on cable, the way you stay on cable, is by making stories bigger and more inflammatory. And that's true for liberal cable as it is for conservative cable. Um, maybe not as true for liberal cable, but still true. Um, and so things get oversold, and there's a risk you lose the strangeness and the weirdness and the possibility of of what happened in the Trump years if you don't keep insisting that people remember it. Yeah. I think that's beautifully put. I agree with you. And that is something that we, in the usual day-to-day -day scuffles about politics, uh, it's okay to get bound up a little bit in the moment. <laughs> Things will wash out in the end and you're accountable for whatever. But, but, in, but your argument essentially is that Trump changed all that. And, and, and what you're arguing for me, to me really, is that even if it wasn't this grand conspiracy that's not see some people deemed made it out to be uh let's not go through whatever uh it was still unbelievable yeah. that a president who had, that a person who had obviously deeply enmeshed in business with the russian elite which is basically the same thing as the russian government and has behaved in this fashion mm -hmm. with respect to queries and for which there is plenty of certainly so much smoke that it would be kind of weird if there were no fire at all. Yeah. Uh, all true. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but <laughs> one of the things that I think you, I think, were among the most uh, insightful about at the beginning of this was the, dam the threat that Trump poses to us is not just his overreach, but our overreaction. And so that we start damaging ourselves, whether that be a judiciary too quick to knock down something on immigration well within the president's remit, such as major institutions such as the New York Times deciding that the primary story for two years you know this is their priority. Priority was to prove somehow that Trump was compromised in some way yeah. by Vladimir Putin, which would be one of the biggest stories in history. Yeah. Uh, and the way that some elements of the judiciary have behaved and the way that some elements of the press have behaved have made things worse. They have delegitimized themselves, which is exactly what you warned about. Now, I'm not saying, I'm just saying this is a difficult path to tread. Get this right. Well, thank Well, thank, so I did write your point about the judges. I, I wrote a story in, in 2017 uh, when the judiciary was striking down Trump's immigration actions. Um, that the, the president has the power, 
they, they, they went wrong. I mean, the president has the power to be arbitrary. If a president says, you know what, um, immigration visas for A through L, yes, M through Z, no, the president has that power. As, as stupid and irrational as that would be, the president has, the Congress has that power, but they've delegated it in many statutes to the president. And the president clearly could say, uh, visas, yes, A to L, no, M through Z. Um, and the courts have affirmed that again and again and again and again in case after case, which I which I wrote about. But because Trump's behavior was not only arbitrary but cruel and capricious, the courts the courts in the end said we can't. And they, they he won the early cases, but in the end they said we just can't abide this. He's using his power in, in obviously a discriminatory way. It's unacceptable, so it's going to have to stop. Um, and and so and one of the things that I I felt through the Trump years was. When you say, how do we resolve this? It was going to be resolved tragically. I mean, I often felt through the, that one of the effects was um, a lot of things I cared about were going to be broken, um, both by the people, by, either by Trump or by the people. And that was just the price of this struggle. Um, and that there was no way to get out of this struggle without damage. Um, and you had to focus on, on the damage. But um, yeah, the t- the, but there, the are many, there are many media that- sources that oversold the story. I mean, again, I, I wrote this in 2017 and I've said it, I said it a hundred times on TV, if I didn't say it once, is do not look for a crime here. Because what you're going to discover, my, my suspicion always was that the things that you're going to find that were disturbing were not criminal. And the things that you're going to find that were criminal were not disturbing. Um, so you'd find, yes, yeah, somebody's going to have tripped over the Foreign Agents Registration Act because every, so many people in Washington are breaking that act every day. You're going, to find it, you're going to find somebody doing it. What happened to Mike Flynn? And I have no book for Mike Flynn, the former National Security Advisor. But he was not actually part of the Trump-Russia story. He had no idea. The same thing, he did the same thing that Jeff Sessions did, the attorney general. They both knew there's a bad smell. The FBI is asking me questions. Deny everything, even though I personally do not know what it is that I am denying. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so they, uh, Sessions lied to the Senate. Uh, Flynn lied to the FBI. Sessions was got had a lot of blowback. Uh, Flynn had legal trouble, but neither of them ever knew what the secret was because they were they were not they were not at that meeting in June. They they were not part of the Trump inner circle. They didn't know. Um, but what what is important to say is even but if what if there was no secret? Well, I mean, the, the, here's my question: What would disprove it? Okay, here's so here's what, if I could if if some piece of evidence could clinch your case, what would it be? The, the thing about the Trump years has always been. There have been many secrets, but no mysteries. The thing you had to understand is it all happened in front of your nose. Yes, and, my point entirely, which but, was but, that we knew that we knew all we knew about Trump from the minute he stood before the cameras and said, Russia, if you're listening, please intervene in our domestic election on my behalf. And it fucking happened. But the cor- and we saw it happen. So the don't, cor- that's that's, the that's, that's a mi- now that's not that's what happened. That is not a conspiracy. But the core of our disagreement, the thing we really disagree about, is I, I spent some time thinking about what do you think about this? Um, well, I've been trying to think about it. We're all trying to think about how we... No, really I, 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 but I've been trying to... So the, the core of our disagreement was, you think we lay out everything we know, and it's all because it's all psychologically in character for Trump. It is. Therefore, it is not... And because it all happened in public, and there are no... Uh, therefore, what's the big story? And the big story is it all happened in public. How um, could you prove it? Tell me what would it, what piece, what document, what thing could so, happen that you could prove it? Because it seems to me how, how about a, you can accuse someone indefinitely how about a, of how, being mysterious about ties how, with a foreign country. But most, and let me make this: most people regard being told 
that you're in league with a foreign country against this country about which you're about to be like, do you not understand why someone might have a response to that, which is, fuck you? What if How a, dare you? What if Without can- evidence? What if a candidate for president had a signed letter of intent with a foreign government that would pay him hundreds of millions of dollars if a deal went ahead, and he then lied about it on national television. In de- in 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 favor of what? What would he get? What was what was in it for him? Uh, hundreds of millions of dollars of payday for him. If he had a signed letter of intent, that would be a big. Be, he would have to go. That and... Trump signed a letter of intent in November of 2015. <laughs> well, yes, I know, I know. <laughs> it happened. But my it point happened. is, my, my say, point oh, is, yeah, we knew that. <laughs> they did know that. They, but this is the point, David. They absolutely did know that, and they voted for him anyway. Okay, but and I'm... at some point in a political system, when you have to live in the same country with other people, almost as many other people. To keep accusing this president, and when you don't have any fucking solid, no, no, real wait, evidence of no, him colluding with Putin, now you have plenty of evidence that his comp- no, they, many they, they, of his, his past is compromised in this way. But this whole notion, which was what you, not you, but what was sold to us, was as a secret conspiracy. And once this it, is it, revealed, it's like Jonathan Chait, who said he was actually a, a Soviet agent. Once it's solved, well, it, bingo. The reality comes back to life and Hillary still is, will be the next president and this whole nightmare is over and we, the media, will have saved the world. Now, you don't think that is part of what's going through these people's heads and it is out of all perspective. I, look, I, I, I'm tired of psychoanalyzing Trump voters and figuring out what, they, as they should be tired of psychoanalyzing anybody it's else. It's hard to understand. All, all, all I'm going to say is um, the, press, the, the candidate for president of the United States had taken hundreds of millions of dollars, had or had taken tens of millions of dollars um, over through a series of shady deals going back to at least 2006. He had, he had a signed letter of intent uh, that he would have paid him hundreds of millions of dollars had the Trump Tower Moscow happened. He lied about it. Um, uh, the Russians intervened to help his campaign. His campaign knew about that probably as early as April of 2016 um, and accepted a meeting. And all of this yeah. happened. And the fact that, the fact that, Everything was known on voting day and people voted for him anyway doesn't make it any less of a problem. And and now when you say so there was never well, but, but, there was there was never any kind of problem th- for whom? For the, for this country. And the, the idea So the so then what you have to at that point, if you're gonna be in any way fair, you have to say what decisions were changed in return for this. What did Putin get? And substantively, it strikes me that Trump was harsher. Harder on Putin than Obama. Well, and there is nothing and, and, that you can and, and point also, to I as a quid pro question. quo. And uh, that's uh, not that's not true. And it's not, at some point, how can you? Isn't there something almost McCarthyite about demanding that someone prove his innocence that he's not a traitor to his own country? So I, I now don't use, uh, is there you, any limit to how long you can ask that person that when when you have then a two year inquiry? led by the best guy with the best team and they couldn't really get the, the, the money shot there. At some point, don't you say, we've hashed this, let it go. Uh, at, at least let's respect the votes of our fellow citizens who voted against us and who have a right not to have the legitimacy of their president questioned from day one and treated as illegitimate in so many ways by so many parts uh, of the media. Blah, blah. I'm sorry. I, I, I didn't mean it. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm a little I'm, I'm, I'm I'm feeling a little uncomfortable. Stoked, so I, I, <laughs> oh, I, I, I just want to ask one question of 
both of you. Um, David, irrespective of all the terrible things Trump did, don't you think that the media would have been better off just playing it straight and not lowering their standards and running with rumors? I just think that they kind of played into the you, hands. You've just triggered me. I'm oh, sorry. Whoa, you oh, triggered I'm gonna trigger, David. I, now I have a question for you. Yeah. Well, no, I'm not going to ask no, it. No, Daniel no. said I can't ask it. Okay, okay. go. So my trigger <laughs> is when, when people use the phrase the media, Defined in such a way as to exclude all the most important media institutions. In the I country. only mean, I mean the New York Times and the yeah, Washington you mean the, Post. You, you mean the media you personally consume. I mean uh, the prestige media. Yes. But the, the point is, most Americans, the, by far the most important media company in the country is Facebook. Uh, the second most important media company in the country is YouTube. Um, uh, then there's Fox News. And so there, there's, I mean, people use this have this conception of the media, which if reflects their own, which is gazing in the mirror. I mean, there's now a, in the pro-Trump world, they use this phrase, corporate media, to mean the New York Times and NBC. Or legacy uh, media. Yeah, they use corporate media as if Fox is an anarcho-syndicalist collective. <laughs> it's owned by a corporation too. Um, so when you say, how do the media, uh, the, the, um, the most outrageously false story of the Trump years was the story that um, invented by Julian Assange, I think, or I don't know who invented it, but propagated by Julian Assange and then repeated by Sean Hannity, and Fox News had to pay a huge cash settlement because of it, where they denied that the, uh, the Russians had hacked the Democratic emails, deny, and denied that they'd handed it to uh, WikiLeaks, and instead insisted that this poor murdered 29-year-old man named Seth Rich mm. had uh, probably committed the crime himself and then probably been murdered maybe by Hillary Clinton. Yeah. And, and you think, is that a media scandal? I mean, Fox had to pay a giant cash settlement. Um, we don't know how big they, that that was. Uh, and Sean Hannity kept repeating it even after the settlement was paid on his radio show. Um, that's the media too. And so, look, if you, but, I would say, if you mean the New York Times, I mean the I, I, say the New York Times. I mean and then, the New York and then Times let's and the Washington York, Post, the, the New York Times, NPR and the Washington Times, Post in their appropriate Post, Los Angeles Times, they're, they're, NBC, ABC, they're, CBS. They're important. I'm not going to deny uh, they're important, but they which but, major but magazine, the Atlantic. I mean, all of it. It just goes on and on and on. I, I hate to be modest about any of it, including the Atlantic, but up against. Well, we, we actually we've had a test of strength. We've had a, what if there were a story where um, there's a binary answer: get vaccinated or don't get vaccinated. <laughs> And certain media institutions said yes, and other media institutions said no. How would that break? And the answer is it breaks about 70-30. So, yeah, uh, so yeah even, um, even when the, the media institutions are absolutely right, have the goods, vaccines save lives, get vaccinated, there's still a third of the country that doesn't believe it. And, and, and there's a, a, an enormous media apparatus. So, so what? Yeah, so, so what? You, so it's a, so, but I so, think that so they don't lost just, so their do, credibility so, so, when so they don't say, over... Don't, don't, so, so just have an don't have an image of the media in mind that reflects the way it Everything was in 1972. <laughs> no, the way it was I've in 1972. Don't have a story about the media. No, but the media talked about the, last the, the effect of Facebook and YouTube on the anti-vaxxers. Yeah, yeah. It's very real. Don't have a story about, thank you. Don't have a story about the media that omits Facebook, omits can YouTube, omits Fox. Can, can I ask a question? I want to just ask a question. Is there something with secondhand smoke and joints? Because I really want to listen to Stairway to Heaven right now. <laughs> Does anybody else? And I want to ask Stairway to Heaven. I just want to ask one question, and we'll get back to this. But what do you think of the word? Because some comedians have said it doesn't really mean anything bad, and it's funny. She's going there. F A G. Fag. Yeah. Fag. Hey, um, you I, wanted I'm, to I'm, say. I think it's a funny word. I think it's hilarious. I, I look. 
It so I was. Uh, yeah. It's I, I. Where did that come from? Just wait. <laughs> it's just because there's Christina's a follow up. Head. There's a follow up. <laughs> oh, I, I, I'm, I, I just don't want to talk about this. To be honest. I mean, we, it's my show. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, I, so I ask it, right. I ask it. We should ask, all just listen I to just, Stairway so, to Heaven right now, so or Pink Floyd. So I'm I just look. Yeah, I. <laughs> fag can be used in all sorts of ways. If it's used as a horrible way of abuse, of course it's horrible. Horrible. But, but if it's just a um, funny But there word. are ways in which it can be used which are totally sad. Okay, and, and someone who and loved I don't want cigarette. gay people. I don't want gay people to be telling other people not to have fun or laugh. I just I just find Wait. the way that we we're, we're becoming the bloody police for Okay, the, so for I'm building up to the awful. question like I have been called in my youth a, a and not a, in a, your youth, honey. Oh, and even now, uh, uh, yeah. Okay. <sighs> so is there a different word? Uh, I'm sure there is. I'm sure there's been. I or have we to can look, just go with that. Okay. Right. You have to look up. It's constantly Christina's updating. Christina's trying to figure out what to put on her Twitter handle and whether fag hag would be You'll probably take it off Twitter if you use that term. <laughs> no, I, I trained my oldest son, Tamler, in his SAT words. And I said, okay, jejun and I- I- immolate fag hag. And his friends that were there. That was they not said, on the SAT. It wasn't on the Fag, SAT. It was, it in a better a world, it would be wood. on the SAT. Okay, back to Trump and sorry, Russia. Sorry. No, I just... I, sorry I, for that brief, this sad is all great. digression. I'm a little high. So, look. Um, <laughs> Let's put on stairway I, The one thing... It. Look, David, the one thing we definitely agree about, and it's important that we say this, is that uh, I think you. I think there's lots of facts that we obviously don't dispute. Neither of us yeah. dispute. And I, neither do either of us disagree that this man is so beyond unacceptable for public office of any kind, let alone the presidency of the United States. And that I will do anything, but do anything to help that guy get in power. But I don't want to play into his game by overreacting. I don't. I do think that the establishment, as I've understood it and experienced it, uh, I think has had a bit of a complete moral panic over the last four years, uh, which is understandable, but have overreacted in all sorts of ways that is perpetuating this dynamic, which is empowering these forces. And I just want to beg them to chill and stop this and but, accept and- that there are other people in this country. And we, ha- if we keep this going, it's, it's, it's going to be awful. But we I- know how awful it is. It's already, it's already gone in so many ways. That concept of liberal democracy, and that's what I meant in that first piece I did on Trump, is that no, the democracy will go out of existence, but a certain kind of democracy. And isn't the truth well, bad enough that the press doesn't have to play into? But, but I was going to say something else that maybe Trump, that to your point about Biden being unlucky, the whole point to Biden that he was going to be boring. And cable, I mean, I don't know why we're blaming cable news because it has no ratings anymore. Right. Like, I used to listen to it religiously during Trump. And and without the Trump show. Well, the, and, and maybe people are just a little ungrateful that they're they're not getting so much news. No one ever watched cable. So news. The, uh, the, the well, big, I listened to it. My mother did. Yeah, you, you did. but uh, On my, okay, so the, the, <laughs> my radio. MSNBC. The biggest, the biggest Rachel show. Rachel Maddow. Yeah. Okay, if you were to take uh, 9 p.m. on a weeknight, at the zenith of Trump intensity, uh, there would have been, which is, who, who I've, now I'm going to get mixed up, who's on which. Uh, Rachel Maddow. Uh, Rachel Maddow, Shauna Hannity, whatever yeah. was uh, CNN. That would together add up to possibly, on a big night, 5 million people um, mm-hmm. in a country of 330 million people. 
So it, it was always a now it had it had reach and it was magnified on social media and and, uh, and it set a news agenda and it was picked up in other ways. But you just need always to keep in perspective how big Reddit is. How big Facebook is the media you don't consume is really important. And mm-hmm. and uh, stipulate who's on Facebook. Um, your mom. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, no, a, a lot of people. A lot a, a, of people who are in the demographic who are fomenting and people who are actually a lot of conspiracy theories. Yeah. yeah no, no. Facebook is Facebook is gigantic. It's it's the biggest news news organization in the world. It's the biggest news organization in the United States, and it doesn't generate its own content, but it systematically promotes certain kinds of content. Because it's like it's like one of these nightmare science fiction movies from the 1960s where the computer has discovered that the news that makes you sick is also the news that makes you watch. And yeah. so it isn't that Facebook wants you to consume all of this terrible stuff. They don't care. Uh, they just want you to be on Facebook all the time. And what they've discovered is if they if they give you, you know, um, an article on um, four pathways ch- to Chilean prosperity. You're 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 not going to read it. <laughs> I would read that. <laughs> well, well, uh, but we, if they offer you the heroin, you will. Well, well D- David, you weren't on earlier when we were talking about. Um, we have relatives who have gone down Facebook conspiracy oh path, and uh, I was thinking, the, Andrew, to your your like when Andrew says I do my research, I totally trust the research <laughs> Andrew is doing. But when, when I, I I'm also that? you said that earlier in the program, like like when AIDS was coming, I did my research. Well, uh, yeah, well, I even yeah, right. Wrong. But but now when people say I did my research, the Onion had a very funny parody of this. Is like, oh, so you've forty thousand friends, you've done a blind study with them, like. This is not what they mean by research. Okay, they- I've done my research. Oh, my God. And as God is my witness, I'm right. So my Twitter followers are out there. And since 2016, I've been trashing Trump. And every time I trash him, I lose, like, a lot of followers. And, and like, fuck you. Goodbye. I don't care. I lost him. I lost And then more and more and more. Now I do it. I don't lose anybody. Now, stipulate I have new followers, but I've still, some of them come back. Some of them are hate followers, but it doesn't generate the hatred that it used to. I think people are tired of him. I think he was a one-trick pony. He had his chance by people. I don't think he is a possible contender. He's not going to win. He's not going to win what? The next election. Will he win the Republican nomination? Mm, Rick DeSantis will be mad. Um, I don't Rick, think Rick so. No. will be over. Will be overjoyed. You, he'll be in the uh, in the front row applauding at the Republican National Convention. Why? Because there were because as Danielle, I... because as you always say, people are worms. <laughs> and, and and there are no but of all the people who are worms, there are no bigger set of worms than Republican elected I know, but officials. Isn't he mad? Like 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 <laughs> oh, mad on the inside. Yes, sucking the air out but, of the room. So there, there's there's a. Uh, I know this because of my son, not uh, because I threw not our because son. Our, our son, our, our, not because I did my own research. <laughs> but apparently, there is a Simpsons cartoon in which Homer Simpson runs for mayor of the town on the slogan "Let someone else do it," <laughs> and and that is the approach of every Republican candidate to Trump, which is somebody has to take this guy down so that I can step over the two corpses and take the job. But but because both of them are going to be dead men, I don't want to be that person myself. And that's what Rick Santos is looking at Mike Pence. You do it. Uh, Nikki, you do it. And, <laughs> and they, all said, they all said, Ron, we Let were thinking, the woman do it. We were thinking you might do it. You might do it. And then and J.D. We, Vance is thinking, I oh can't God. do it. J.D. Vance is thinking, 
is is thinking how like like how am I losing to Josh Mandel? <laughs> you know, uh, how is that possible? And 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 the answer is because if you're running, um, I'm not. You know, I'm going to delete what I was about to say. That's what? Just, well, I, I would say I would say it is more likely than not that he will be the nominee oh next God. time. More likely than not, uh, and more likely than not that if he is, that he will win the election. That is that is, mm. all, and I and I have a dear on... friend who will go unmentioned. Anne Applebaum says it'll be the end of democracy. Well, we'll 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 jump off that bridge when we get to it. Uh, <laughs> as my, However, my one my one <coughs> that's issue? Christina, Christina, I have to. I, we, we, we've been we, going we, on we, too long. Oh my God. We, we have to draw to an elegant close. This has been the most lubricated. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> And uh, enhanced Danielle conversation. finished her whole bottle. No, and I my shared it with David. He had down. one Sell glass. Down. No, Not he even. had two. He had two. I, I I have a lot left in my bottle. Also, can we play Stairway to Heaven after <laughs> we end the show? Because we'll I really see, need I'm to sure hear I don't it. Have, I have contact the, high. The contact dish high. is doing well, but we don't have the money to, for those rights. But, uh, <laughs> I am thrilled to tell you next week, David Wallace-Wells is going to come on. We're going to talk about the COVID situation and also... Uh, climate change in COP26. David knows more about this and seems to me to be saner than almost anybody else than I read. So that'll be, he'll be the first one to come back. On the redeem, the, redeem the dignity of the podcast. And <laughs> this has been super fun. Us, thank you, David. Thank you, Danielle. Thank you, Christina. Thank you. This is old friends. Um, and it's, it's, it was pure pod at times. <laughs> it was, uh, and that was a, that was a really distinguished indica. If anybody uh, wants to uh, yeah, know where like, I got that like from, organic. and that it's was really lovely. And I also heritage. just want to apologize. I did not mean to offend David by smoking that in front of him. You it was not. It was, no, no, it was awesome. It, yeah, yeah, it was, all, like, his kids we, need to see this. We, we, his kids need we, to see this. We, we agreed in advance a long time ago. <laughs> That every time we do a podcast, you will you'll be shit faced and I'll get high. We're shit faced. <laughs> and high. so that was this time around. And, and then the because we had this kerfuffle, this foo for all, uh, this I week. I didn't say you really disagreed. Uh, we uh, we decided David come too, and he kindly agreed, and everyone kindly agreed to have him. So thanks again for coming. We've been having these kind of arguments for Ever. thirty years. Nineteen eighty five. Uh, yeah, and uh, there's a song about that too. That was those were the days. Um, anyway, thanks so much for coming, and I look forward to seeing you, you all next week. See you next Friday. What happens Friday? That's when the, that's when the dish comes out. <laughs> oh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Can we keep that in? <laughs>